0: Hold on, wait, just there. Just just before we start the podcast, I have to let you know about a free event we're running full of SMH and behavior strategies that you can use to support the kids that you work with. It'll run on Tuesday, the 7th of May, 2024, at 7 pm London time. We're going to take a real world behaviour issue submitted by a member of our community, pull it apart and offer solutions and strategies. And this month, we're focusing on strategies for managing a low level behaviour in class. Our aim is for you to walk away with lots of actionable ideas and strategies that you can use straight away in your school. And did I mention it's completely free? Everyone's favourite price. We're limited to 300 spaces though, so grab yours today before they're all gone. I've put a direct link to the registration page in the episode description, so all you have to do is tap on this episode in your podcast app and you'll see a link to the webinar. Just follow that link and enter your details. I can't wait to see you there. I think one
1: of the main ways that shows up this need for belonging is kids trying to get attention, attention from us and indeed attention from their peers. And kids repeat behaviours that work for them. So if being silly or messing around makes them popular with other kids, then they'll do it and they'll do it again. They meet their need for attention connection and belonging that way. What we've got to do here is twofold, I think. One, we've got to build those powerful one-to-one relationships with them. And the second is to create a sense of community and camaraderie
0: in the classroom. around the world, so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else. This is the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. Hi there, my name's Simon Currigan, and welcome to this week's episode of School Behaviour Secrets. If other education podcasts are like posh, fine dining cuisine served by a smart waiter wearing white gloves, we'd be jelly. You know, jelly. Wibbly wobbly, wibbly wobbly, jelly on a plate. Jelly, the power source of toddlers, the cornerstone of the trifle, the foundation of a million low-budget school desserts, preferably served on a paper plate by a clown riding a unicycle because how else would a clown get around? Jelly, sourced from the boiled skin and tendons of unsuspecting cows and pigs and made glorious with food colouring and artificial strawberry flavouring. Yeah, we'd be jelly. And you know what? I think you'd be jelly too. I'm joined today by my co-host, Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma.
2: Hi, Simon. You a big jelly fan then?
0: (laughs) Actually, no, in real life. No, I don't really like it. But I'd like to start by asking you a question. Go ahead. What subject really motivated you at school and why?
2: Well, at school, I really, really enjoyed art, even though I wasn't particularly good at it. I think I just enjoyed the freedom and the creative elements of it and the way that there wasn't necessarily a right way or a wrong way to do things. What about you, Simon? What was your favourite subject at school and why?
0: Well, one of the subjects I really remember from sixth form was studying economics. And I think a lot of it was to do with the teacher that I had. I'll give a shout out to Arne Edwards. He was an amazing teacher. And the way he taught and engaged us all in dialogue about the subject was inspirational so yeah that's something I really enjoyed.
2: Yeah so I think the teacher makes all the difference doesn't it? Okay so what's the link to this week's episode?
0: Well this week we're sharing my conversation with Rob Plevin who's an expert on need-to-focus teaching and classroom management and he's going to reveal the three elements that increase pupil engagement in the classroom. Jelly on a plate!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good but before we get to that I've got a quick favour to ask of our listeners. If you're listening to our podcast, please could you leave us a rating and review? Doing that signals to the podcast algorithm to share school behaviour secrets with other listeners and that in turn helps our show to grow. I know it might not sound like it, but Simon and I work hard to produce this podcast and keep it absolutely free to listen. And one of our goals is to get School Behaviour Secrets, otherwise known as jelly on a plate, (laughs) to number one in the education podcast charts. So if you can like and share, that would be great. Thank you. And now here's Simon's conversation with Rob Plevin.
0: I'm very excited to welcome Rob Plevin to the show. Rob is an expert on classroom management and managing student behavior. He's authored many highly respected books on classroom management including Take Control of the Noisy Class which has over 900 five-star reviews on Amazon alone and Classroom Management Success in Seven Days or Less is a highly sought after speaker and thought leader in SEMH and his needs-focused teaching approach is popular in schools across the UK and the world. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Simon. Thank you very much for having me. And it's great to have you back, actually. It was lovely to be
1: here. I'm actually obviously in the same room as last time, but um, it's a different show, so it's all good.
0: (laughs) I want to start by asking you, why do you think the problem of student disengagement is on the rise? I think there are a couple of factors at play.
1: Uh, at least two factors at play, and i 'm going to categorize these as as external and internal, so if we looked at the external factors we 've got things like perhaps you know these are just suggestions, a lack of relevance, so you know kids probably see that the world is moving incredibly fast, and that much of what they're learning may well have very little relevance on their lives now and and certainly not in the future. you know, the way jobs are changing it's highly likely that a lot of the stuff they're learning is not going to be relevant at all when they leave school. So I think when they don't see a relevance of what they're learning to their current life and, and certainly their future life, then why would they buy in? You know, I, I think we're definitely going to see some disengagement because of that. And the second external factor, I think, which probably pops up when everybody thinks about this, is undoubtedly technology. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not against technology. It's, it totally changed the way we teach and learn. But it's also contributed to a generation of students and indeed people who are constantly distracted by screens. Tablets, laptops, smartphones, pinging, tinging, ringing, buzzing, all fighting, trying to get our attention. So it's no wonder that most of us struggle to stay focused and that kids struggle to stay focused. And what springs to mind for me is a book by a gentleman called Nicholas Carr, which you may or may not have heard of called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And I believe this book started with an article that he wrote titled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Don't quote me on that. (laughs) In this book, he talks about a superficial level of engagement. You know, it's so common now to be reading a book or doing something, and then our minds start behaving like they do online, swapping between activities and pages, just as we swap between websites, clicking on links, reacting to a video that pops up, that kind of thing. It's like we can't get deeply absorbed in a task anymore. And so for us as adults, that's very apparent. But for a child growing up with a lot of screen use, I can imagine the problem is even worse for them, you know, watching screens for a lot of time. So it's like our brains have been conditioned to crave constant stimulation. And anything that requires more than a few seconds of our attention just feels like a chore. Yeah, I think those external factors are definitely part of it but I'd like to also talk about what I feel are the internal factors around disengagement and I I feel these are much more important do those two make sense first of all Simon
0: yeah yeah absolutely and I think you're so right about even how traditional media has evolved now you look at films and television programs it's all very quick cuts. It's very bang, 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 bang. Even books nowadays. I found myself, I start to read a book and if something's not happening in the first two pages and it's not exciting and there's not explosions, I'm thinking, do I want to sit with this? And my attention is looking for something different to be stimulated by. Instead of, like you say, these deep experiences.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but on my Kindle, device, I think I've got more than 800 books, 800 books. And I seldom sit and finish a book these days. You know, I'll dip in and out of one and I'll flip between several books at once often, just trying to glean what
0: I feel is, is the information that I want at that time. So I think it's a huge problem that. And the relevance thing is massive as well. I've often wondered as an adult, when we think about how we teach writing, even to very young children, often we do it through writing stories And I'm not saying that doesn't have value, but how often have you been asked to write a story as an adult? Is it actually a very useful skill? And I'm not saying we shouldn't teach story writing and fiction writing to young children, but you do have to question the relevance. Absolutely. And and just touching on that a little bit more, my son, he's 30 and he switched careers into
1: a computer programming career. And he's just in his final stages of qualifying, and already they're talking about the job not being available due to AI. You know, why would you hire a programmer when you can get AI to do it? So I think it must be really quite worrying for kids, you know, growing up, learning this stuff, and they just think, what is the point in this? I don't need it. I'm not going to need it. Why are you teaching it me? So yeah, I think those two things are are definitely contributory. But I also think the internal factors, as I say, are, are even more important because, The concept of distracted students, disengagement, it's not a new phenomenon. It's been around a very long time. Victorian teachers, you know, those old black and white pictures of the strict Victorian master, they complained of disobedient children. And those kids didn't have smartphones, they had bits of slate. In Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, he talks about students playing games and dancing rather than studying. And even Plato apparently complained about distraction of young people from their studies. So although technology and and social media and this relevance factor, although these have brought about a, a significant increase in disengagement, I feel this is a deeper problem. I think it's got more to do with what's going on the inside than on the outside. And I personally believe, and I know there's research to back this up too, it's to do with us being in an uncomfortable emotional state and wanting to move away from that. So by uncomfortable emotional state, I mean things like boredom, Loneliness, anxiety, stress, inadequacy, fear of failure, uncertainty, fatigue. And we want to escape these things, and that's why distractions are so appealing. They take us away from the pain and the discomfort. And of course, once we get into the habit of allowing ourselves to be distracted, every time something becomes too difficult, a bit too tedious, boring, tiring, or uncomfortable in any way, then we reach for it again. And again, so kids perhaps get into this habit of being disengaged. It feels much nicer and more comfortable than doing the work or being bored or finding things too challenging.
0: Can I just pick up on one thing there? I think boredom actually is a really interesting one that you've highlighted there because how often are children bored nowadays or adults bored If you look at a queue of people in a shop, what's the first thing they do? They don't just stand there. They take their phone out and they're being constantly stimulated, as you say. And if kids aren't used to the experience of being a little bit bored, even on a car journey then they find it difficult to cope with because it's an unnatural feeling for them. And yet boredom, lots of researchers will say, is where creativity starts, where great ideas start. Exactly. Exactly.
1: I think we've got to address these internal factors. yeah, certainly as well as, if not before, we look at the external factors, the relevance and the technology. I think it all goes hand in hand, really.
0: So can you tell us the story of what prompted you to develop your needs-focused approach to supporting kids in the classroom? I can and I will. Are you sitting comfortably? I am. Good, then I'll begin.
1: So, I was a a behavior management geek. Well, actually, even before I started teaching, I was working in the outdoors, I was working with uh, young offenders and youth groups, and I was really passionate, really, really, absolutely passionate about behavior and the factors that influence behavior and what I could do as as a trainer or as a teacher to manage behavior. So, I had this very much behaviorist approach. I was following psychologists like Skinner and Lee Cantor, assertive discipline, both believed that behavior is shaped by consequences and that positive reinforcement is the most effective way to change behavior. And at the time I was working with some tremendous psychologists early on in my career too. So I saw all this stuff working and I understood the relevance of it and and all the science and the psychology behind it. And there was no doubt that it got results, but I gradually became more interested in how kids felt. You know, you can make a child do anything with a significant reward or or a bribe or a nasty punishment, but what's actually going on inside? How are they really feeling? We know kids who are motivated purely to gain a merit or a gift of some sort, they lose interest in the task. It's just about the gift, the reward. And kids whose behavior is controlled externally with threats or punishments, well, We know only too well how they must feel, or perhaps we forget how they might feel. But what really made me question this behaviourist approach was using it at home with my teenage son. My son was 15, 16 at the time, and and he was a little on the wild side. And when I took the behaviourist approach home, the bribes and the consequences... I noticed that it was driving us further and further apart. It created more problems than it solved. You know, he felt very aggrieved that I was applying these consequences. And I think he he played the game with regard to the gifts and the rewards, you know, and the treats. So we were moving further apart and I knew what he desperately needed was more connection. There was a, a deeper approach needed. So I came across the work of William Glasser, Choice Theory, and that blew my mind. He talked about real motivation, intrinsic motivation, and how our behaviour is largely dictated by our needs. We're basically hardwired to avoid that discomfort that I was talking about earlier, all that discomfort and unpleasantness. We're hardwired to avoid that through the satisfaction of key psychological needs. So if a child feels alone or fearful or unheard or unseen, they've got a need for attention and connection. If they feel they're lacking control or choice or freedom in their life, then they've got a need for empowerment. And that made total sense to me. So I moved away from the control methods, you know, basically treating kids like Pavlov's dogs, and into the realm of connecting more deeply with them. The need to belong being one of our most powerful needs, and providing an environment in which those needs can be met in appropriate ways. I'll just apologize for the dog making an appearance. Simon, as usual.
0: (laughs) Start of the show. There's a cat in this room. Uh, Mittens always likes to sit in for a recording. So you know how it is. I do. So you say when three key needs are met, Children are more engaged and teachers see fewer behaviour incidents in the classroom and there's an improvement in the overall quality of those adult-pupil relationships yet. The first need you talk about in your books and your teaching is empowerment, which you've already sort of touched on. What does that actually look like in the classroom and why
1: is it so important? Okay, so obviously there are a lot of psychological needs and needs that we all share as human beings. Now, I've highlighted three of them, empowerment, belonging and fun, because... They're really the broad categories and they encompass a lot of needs. They're kind of umbrella terms. So when I talk about power, I'm also including things like acknowledgement, choice, autonomy, even achievement. And this empowerment, it's a very powerful motivator. It's an inbuilt human need. Kids crave and they need elements of control and freedom in their lives. Well, we all do. Nobody wants to feel like they're in prison. But if you look at it from their perspective in school and in home actually, how much control do they really have in their world? Not that much, because we call the shots. We tell them when they can eat, when they can go to the toilet, what colour pen they've got to use, when they can take a break. All the decisions are made, or most of the decisions are made by us. And in a bid to keep them under control, we take away more and more of their freedom. So to me, it makes total sense that they get frustrated and they try to assert their need for power. So when they do that, they do it in what we would call inappropriate ways. When they don't get a sense of freedom and control, they'll act up to get it. It's hardwired, as I said. So essentially, they'll push our buttons. They'll opt out. They'll refuse to work, work on their terms, wandering around the classroom, talking over us, ignoring us, that kind of thing. We basically get a power struggle on our hands. And we can either fight them or we can help them meet that need in more appropriate ways. So it might be giving them an element of choice in the way they do the work or the work that they do, giving them a responsibility of some sort, making sure that
0: we acknowledge their efforts, that kind of thing. How do you walk the line in the classroom between giving children choices and responsibilities about how they're working and something that looks a bit like chaos? (laughs) Because... I can imagine in some classrooms, if children were given too much empowerment before they were ready for it, maybe their behaviour would be, they'd go off task, they'd do different things. How do we manage that tension?
1: You're quite right there. If you're going too much too quick, then it can blow kids' minds. You know, suddenly they've got every freedom in the world and it's small steps with anything really that's, that's going to make sustainable changes. But in terms of choice, for example, I mean, we talk about limited choices. So it wouldn't be just a case of do what you want. It would be a case of, okay, there are five tasks on the board. They all meet the same working target, but you have a choice in which one you do first or which three you do or which one you do. There are ways of giving choice without giving everything. And I think when teachers know their their students and they know their class, they can really make a pretty informed decision as to how much choice they give them. You know, choice can be brought in in all kinds of ways. The way they do the work, the amount of work, the type of work, the type of task. Probably there's a whole session on that really, but hopefully that covers it to some extent.
0: Yeah, definitely. It makes total sense. And I think because when people have choice, they feel they've got agency and they become more invested in the outcome as well, don't they? Because they feel like, well, I've chosen this, so I'm going to commit to it more. The next key you talk about is belonging then. and People talk about children needing attention, but often what they're searching for is connection rather than attention itself. How does belonging affect pupil engagement? And what can we do sort of practically as adults in the classroom to foster belonging with our children in our schools and in our classrooms?
1: Okay. So I think one of the main ways this shows up, this need for belonging, is kids trying to get attention. Attention from us and in indeed, attention from their peers. And kids repeat behaviours that work for them. They repeat behaviours that get them what they want. So if being silly or messing around makes them popular with other kids, then they'll do it and they'll do it again. They meet their need for attention, connection and belonging that way. What we've got to do here is twofold, I think. One, we've got to build those powerful one-to-one relationships with them. And the second is to create a sense of community and camaraderie in the classroom and get these kids to have a a sense of how rewarding and supportive it feels being part of that instead of being part of these offshoots, part of these little splinter groups that they set up. You know, this is why gangs are so important. That need for belonging is so prevalent. It's so important to kids. They'll get it from wherever they can. And if their little splinter group is more rewarding and more, more supportive and more exciting than the rest of the class cohort, then they're going to go for that. So we've got to really create a, a community in which it's highly supportive. All kids look out for each other. It's safe and it, it's rewarding. You know, they get a bit of fun from it and they get that sense of team spirit and helping each other. And then there's less need for them to seek that attention outside the group. So in terms of the, the class community, I mean, I talk about this a lot in one of the books, Connect With Your Students. It's things like team meetings, you know, having a class meeting. It's things like cooperative and active work where they can be working on tasks together in little teams. Basically, just creating that situation where everyone is part of that big team. In terms of one-to-one relationships, the, the two things that have always stood out for me since I since I was teaching have been... To show kids you care about them and to communicate that as frequently as possible. If you look at any of your relationships in your life, the positive relationships in your life, those two factors are present. We communicate frequently with those that we love and care about. And we show those people that we love and care about that we care about them. There are different ways of communicating with kids not just the transferring of knowledge during the lesson. That's one way of communicating, but it's a very one-way communication. It's very one-sided. Communicating with them outside the classroom, asking them questions about themselves is obviously a, a major part of it. Doing those two things with kids can bring about immediate improvements in relationships. So communicating frequently with them, it doesn't have to just take place in the classroom. In fact, classroom conversations tend to be one-sided. It tends to be just us transferring knowledge to kids. So we need to make that a little bit more two-way, inviting them to contribute more to the conversation, having these little private conversations with them during the class, but also conversations outside the classroom as well. So communicating frequently is important. And obviously, there are other ways of doing it, not just Speaking face to face, you know, you can send them little messages, you can uh, leave messages in their books. I don't mean sending messages by SMS, by the way, I'm talking about written messages.
0: That could go down a dark alleyway, can't it?
1: Exactly. <laughs> kids that are disengaged, kids that are struggling in school, there's almost certainly an element of, I don't belong here. I'm not appreciated, I'm not heard, I'm not seen they just don't feel that there's anyone really looking out for them. So if we can be the person who shows that we really are looking out for them, we really do want to support them, we really do care about them, then I think that goes a long way to bringing them on side and building those one-to-one relationships.
0: Okay, so we've looked at empowerment. We've looked at the need for belonging. The last need you sort of identify is fun. So what is the best way of incorporating fun into lessons uh, to create a Positive environment, positive engagement. And I am aware of the irony of talking about, you know, planning it and preparing for it when fun is usually spontaneous. But um, <laughs> how do you do that practically?
1: Okay, well, we all have that need for some excitement and stimulation. And importantly, that looks very different for different people. You know, some people like jumping out of airplanes and some like knitting and doing jigsaws, each to their own. The bottom line is we're hardwired to seek something which entertains us and occupies our mind, something we find stimulating. What that means in the classroom is that if kids are bored or unchallenged, they'll seek fun in less than appropriate ways. So that's when we get things like messages being passed around the room and paper aeroplanes and getting up and wandering around and digging each other and chatting in the corner and doing anything other than being engaged in the task because what they're seeing is that anything I do other than this task is going to be more enjoyable and more entertaining. So, we need to meet this need in basically the kind of activities and tasks we give to our students, and indeed the way we present those tasks and activities. It has to be at the right challenge level. It's no use giving something that's too easy because there's no challenge there. It's no use giving something that's too difficult because it's too challenging and they get frustrated with it. So boredom and frustration need to be ironed out. And one way of doing that is with the level of challenge. The other is with the type of activity. And if we look at Gardner's model, different types of intelligence, I think that having some kinesthetic activities in there goes a long way to bringing on buy-in from those students who would normally opt-out. I read this somewhere that the bottom 20% of learners, the 20% that are disengaged, tend to be our kinesthetic learners. So we want hands-on tasks of some kind. So, quick example of a a kinesthetic activity. A very simple example would be a key stage two task to create a bar chart. Now, we might give them a, a textbook and their writing book and get them to draw a bar chart on paper, or we could get them to create one. So we give them some colored paper, a pair of scissors, a data sheet, and everything they need to create a hands-on bar chart. And I would present that to them in what I call a learning kit. So it's an envelope that they get when they're standing outside the classroom lined up or on their way into the classroom. It's got their name on and it's got top secret written on. And they sit down and then they get to open this, this little kit and it's got everything in, the colored pens, the scissors, the pencil, the ruler, the data sheet, everything else. So we're creating uh, a hands-on task, an interesting, fun hands-on task. And importantly, that little learning kit that you give them, it's something that's tangible. It's something that they can hold and feel and it creates immediate curiosity curiosity is one of the best ways to get kids to buy in to a lesson right at the start and you just say to them that you can open this when you're all sat quietly and then we've got a great way of getting them into that first task so kinesthetic work all the different types of intelligences that Gardner talks about variety really is what we're looking at in terms of fun but also having little breaks you know little brain breaks team activities fun basically we're talking about fun
0: rob your new book ties in nicely with this isn't it it's changed the mood of the noisy class and you've been good enough to give me a preview actually and i've got to say it's really good the depth in there and the range of activities it gives teachers you know a range of things to do with their kids to harness their energy in a positive way which is going to be necessary if you're having fun activities so so can you tell us more about the book so our listeners can find out more about what you've got to share with them
1: Absolutely. And you've been very kind enough to write a review for that book, which um, if anyone buys the book, they will see it right there on the back cover. So thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, Change the mood of the noisy class. Now, I had been wanting to put a book together on uh, a collection of activities, basically, that meet needs in the classroom, that need for fun, the need for connection, the need for empowerment, and also activities that will change the energy in the classroom. So sometimes you want activities that will raise the energy, you know, got a flagging group or a a group that's bored stiff, you need to inject something to uh, enliven the group. And also we want to calm a group down now and again. You know, if you've got a group who's just come in from PE or they've come from break and they're upper height, then we need to calm them down. So I wanted to create this collection of activities that could change energy levels and change the mood. Basically, the premise is helping kids feel good, basically put them in a good mood, hence the title, Change the Mood of the Noisy Class. How often do you see a happy, content child creating havoc in lessons? It just doesn't happen. So the book is essentially a collection of activities to help kids feel good by meeting those key needs. A lot of the activities, in fact, the majority of the activities, were in a a different book by two NLP trainers, and the book was called Invisible Teaching. Although I'd wanted to put together a a book like this for years, I'd just never had time. The, The project just kept getting pushed further and further back. And then I came across this book, Invisible Teaching, and I approached the publishers, Crown House Publishing, who incidentally used to be my publishers, and I asked if I could buy the rights to it, which they allowed. So we bought the rights, we swapped out some of the activities, changed the overall philosophy, making it in line with needs focused, and um, I think the activities fit perfectly. The feedback that we've had from people uh, has been tremendous. You know, If you go on Amazon and you look at the reviews, really great examples of people applying these in the classroom and actually being very surprised at how effective the activities are in terms of changing energy, in terms of changing mood. Uh, Quite a lot of teachers have put reviews on saying that they, they were shocked at how well received they were by the kids. You know, the kids say, please, can we do that again? Please, can we do it again? And it's done what I wanted it to. It's given teachers a load of really fast, easy to set up. They don't require any equipment really fun activities that they can put in the classroom some of them take a couple of minutes some of them take five or ten minutes they've all got different kind of theme and yeah it it really works for people so the themes the categories are uh, we've got how to increase or decrease energy we've got how to uh, evoke a sense of calm creative thinking connection focus meeting all those needs basically within those
0: categories listening to you talk then actually made me think that what you're actually doing with the book and the activities is regulating the energy levels of your class. If they come in too excitable for the activity, you're regulating them downwards. If they need energy for a task and they're a bit listless, you're regulating them upwards. So you're actually helping the kids to learn to regulate as part of your lesson. Exactly. And more than that,
1: we're changing their attitude towards learning, their attitude towards perhaps a particular teacher and their attitude towards a particular class. Because if you give them a positive experience, if they're, if they're in a good mood when they're in that class environment, that lesson, they want to repeat that. So you get a situation where they leave with a smile and they come back with a smile because they've had some enjoyment. you know. So changing that attitude towards learning, giving them a taste of how fun the classroom can be, That all goes towards increasing engagement, improving motivation, and getting them excited about the learning process. And yes, a lot of these tasks, not all of them, but a lot of them are not curriculum related. So some teachers may frown at that. Some educators may frown at that. But I believe it's so important to get them in the right mind state first about the classroom, about learning. Then we can teach. You know, they've got to be in the right mind state first and the right energy level.
0: That is so true. If they're not in the right physical state, then trying to shove the learning down their throat is not a recipe for success.
1: How do we get hold of the book, Rob? So it's on Amazon. I've put it on a platform called Ingram, so it should be filtering into bookshops as well. But certainly it's on Amazon at the moment. It's available in Kindle form and it's available in paperback form.
0: And if you're a teacher or a school leader listening to this podcast and you want to know more about the needs-focused approach you've started talking about today, you know, meeting those key needs of belonging and empowerment and fun, how can they find out more about your approach?
1: Okay, so step one would be to go to my website and have a look around there. We've got various freebies. There's a few free books that people can just opt in for and download, and there's a, a really good free web class uh, which goes through the whole needs-focused teaching method, explains it all. In Pretty good detail. It's a great web class, actually. I'm sure people enjoy it. And that is all at needsfocusedteaching.com, all one word, needsfocusedteaching.com. And then step two, if you add a little link to the end of that URL, you'll get all the details about my book. So it is needsfocusedteaching.com forward slash change mood bonuses, all one word, forward slash change mood bonuses and what i've put together there is a collection of bonus materials there's one of our courses on there and lots of resources from colleagues in the teaching world including you simon there's one of yours on there too and people will get that bundle of resources if they buy a copy or two of the book
0: rob it's been an absolute pleasure you've been insightful as always thanks for being on the show
1: Tremendous, Simon. I'm really chuffed it went all right and I'm glad to have contributed. Thanks so much.
2: Ah, okay. So I can really see how those elements of belonging, fun and relationships are absolutely key to improving student engagement in the classroom. And it's always a pleasure to listen to Rob. He shares so many practical strategies that you can go away and start using right away.
0: I know, I know. And if you want to learn more Uh, I've put direct links to Rob's website and his new book in the episode description.
2: Great. And if you're seeing difficult behaviour during lesson time, the truth is there may be some other small changes that you could make to the way that you've organised your environment, for example, or the format of your lessons. And little changes can make all the difference.
0: If that sounds interesting to you, we've got a completely free download that goes with this episode called the classroom management score sheet. Inside the score sheet, you'll find a list of 37 factors that have an impact on classroom behavior. The score sheet has a list of things that you're clearly doing or not doing in the classroom. Think of it as a clear roadmap to improve your presence with your students. It's based on thousands of observations that Emma and I have conducted between us, so you know it's based on sound classroom practice.
2: And actually, if you're supporting a colleague with their classroom management, this tool can really help to make your feedback and action points even more clear and objective. Get your score sheet now by going to beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, clicking on the free resources tab in the menu, and you'll find it near the top of the page. It's completely free. So go and get yours today. We've also put a direct link to the score sheet in the episode description.
0: And if you haven't done so already, remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss another episode. All you have to do is open up your podcast app and hit the subscribe button. It's easy. And subscribing will make you feel as happy as an aardvark that's just stumbled across an all you can eat ant buffet. Mm. I can feel their little legs wriggling down now.
2: No, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Moving right on, I just want to finish by saying thank you for listening today. We wish you a brilliant week and look forward to seeing you next week on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.